Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Liz Moody Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Moody, and I'm a best-selling author and longtime journalist. This podcast is all about helping you live your healthiest, happiest life, whether we're learning tips for managing our anxiety, diving into how to heal our guts, or discovering the secret equation to using our time to boost our happiness the most. And yes, those are all real episodes, so if any of those topics sound good to you, scroll on back in the archives. Today, we are going to work on our brains with the world's number one brain coach, Jim Quick. In the past two decades, Jim has served as the brain enhancement and performance coach of people like Bill Gates, Oprah Winfrey, maybe you've heard of her, The Rock, Hugh Jackman, Larry Page, Bill Clinton, and many, many more. His 2020 book, Limitless, Upgrade Your Brain, Learn Anything Faster, and Unlock Your Exceptional Life, was an instant New York Times bestseller, and his podcast, Quick Brain, is one of the most popular podcasts in the world. He has millions of social followers, and he just released the updated version of his brilliant book, Limitless, with new and expanded material. This episode is going to give you quick tools to level up the performance of your brain so you can use it to live the life of your dreams. We get into why nobody is born a genius and how anybody can become one, how limiting beliefs are holding you back in more ways than you think, and exactly how to change that, the biggest myths about our brains, what exactly your brain animal is and how to use it to your advantage the importance of play for brain health and how exactly to bring more play into your life, how to raise your kids to maximize their unique intelligence, why reading, meditation, and learning new skills feels so hard and how to make all of those things feel way easier, the secret formula for finding way more motivation, simple tricks for improving your focus and memory, a genius new approach to solving even the hardest problems, how to optimize your calendar to be more productive, a morning routine for optimum brain health, and so much more. As always, we would both love to hear your thoughts as you're listening, so definitely screenshot if something resonates with you, if you're like, yes, this this is so fascinating, and tag us on Instagram. I am at Liz Moody, and Jim is at Jim Quick. And of course, if there's anybody in your life that you think would benefit from this amazing information, please send them a link as well. There is so much good stuff in this episode. Two very quick housekeeping things. We are doing our biggest and only sale of the year over at my conversation card company, Healthy Convo Co. We have four conversation card decks, our original one, which is perfect for friends and family, a raunchy one for girls' nights out or couples, a journaling one that uses the latest science to help you identify and create your dream life, and our working together deck for actually fun meetings and Zooms and happy hours. You can head over to healthycombo.co and use code BF23 to get 30% off. I highly recommend stocking up for the holidays because we never do discounts. So please, please, please take advantage. And my book, 100 Ways to Change Your Life, it makes the perfect holiday gift for your mom, your sister, your brother, your best friend, anyone in your life. It's nice because it will change their life, but it doesn't feel like one of those like sad self-help books that you feel embarrassed to receive as a gift or to gift somebody. It is exciting and it is fun and it is science-backed. If you want to make your gift, 
extra special. I am personalizing book plates, which are just stickers that go in the book that turn it into a signed copy. So just order a copy from anywhere you want and send your receipt as well as any personalization details like the gifties name or any special message that you'd like to include to promo at lizmoody.com and I will get those right out. Okay, let's all discover our inner genius with Jim Quick. Jim, welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you here today. Thanks for having me, Liz. Okay, so this might feel silly, but I would love to really roll back to the beginning. What are some of the benefits that we will experience by learning how to learn better? Like, what would you say to somebody who is like, I don't need to learn that much anymore. I learn fine. I would love for you to especially highlight some of the benefits that might be less obvious. Yeah. Everyone wants some kind of growth and some kind of progress. And I think for our bank account to grow, for our impact to grow, for happiness, we need to grow, right? And specifically, our brains need to grow. It's not like it was hundreds of years ago where we were compensated for our brute strength. Today, it's our brain strength, right? Our muscle power, like it was out in fields and assembly lines today, it's our mind power. And I believe the faster you learn, the faster you can earn. Because knowledge today is not only power, knowledge is profit. I don't just mean financial profit, that's obvious, but it's all the treasures of our life. When you can learn how to learn, you can learn how to be healthy, you can learn how to be happy, you can learn how to code, you can learn languages, you can learn how to give speeches without notes, you can learn how to read three times faster, you can learn all these things that really serve us because I feel like in order for the treasures in our life to grow, then our minds have to grow along first. And so, yeah, I think if there's one skill to master in the 21st century, it's our ability to learn rapidly and translate that learning into action. If you think about the people you admire, these are people that went through a certain level of grit and difficulty, but they learn lessons from mistakes and failures. And maybe there's no such thing as failure. Maybe there's just failure to learn something, right? Yeah. I talk about superpowers a lot because I grew up with learning difficulties. I couldn't read for three years after my head injury as a five-year-old. And so I taught myself how to read by reading comic books. But if you look at nature, every creature has a superpower. Some could fly, some could breathe underwater, some are super fast, some could climb, some are super strong. Human beings aren't any of those things. But because we can learn and the power of our mind, we can learn how to fly, right? We can travel underwater. We can go super fast. We can do all these things because the human mind is the ultimate adaptation machine. And who doesn't want to learn how to focus, how to have energy in their life, how to just have the body they desire and they deserve or the vitality. Learning is fundamental for all of us. Sometimes you're right, there happens to be a dip in cognitive performance, usually when people graduate school because they feel like their education is done, so their learning is done. And also when they retire, often when people retire, they retire their minds and their body is not usually that far behind. I also want to highlight a quote from your book, which I thought spoke to a benefit of learning or exploring our ability to learn in a way that I hadn't personally thought of before. You write, being limitless is about progressing beyond what you currently believe is possible. Just as you've learned limits from your family, culture, and life experiences, you can unlearn them. I love this because it was like, if we can learn how to learn better, then we can learn how to make our brains think differently. And then we can apply that ability to experience a difference of thought to any part of our life, which I found completely world-shaking. Yeah, I really think our ability to learn or relearn or unlearn things, like everything can be adapted. And so in order to make good decisions in our life, 
we need to have a certain level of knowledge or information. I think there's this not just separation of those who have and those who don't have. There's a separation also those who know certain things and can act on them and those just who do not have access to information. And so I think if knowledge is power, then learning it really is our superpower in a way. And it's something that we all have access. It's just all kind of strange that we're not taught really how to learn in school, right? School teaches you a lot of what to learn, math and history, science, Spanish, but there are not any classes really on how to learn those things. Like how do you focus? How do you really study? How do you read faster, understand what you read? How do you remember things, right? Mm -hmm. You know, in school they teach you what, three R's, reading, writing, arithmetic. But what about retention? What about recall? Socrates said learning is remembering. And it's hard if you go to a kid and say study or focus. That's like going to somebody and saying, play the ukulele, who's never taken a class on how to play the ukulele. Like they've never taken a training on how to focus and how to concentrate. And so I really think that some of the things that we need to unlearn are just those labels. When I was struggling in school, I would be teased for it. I remember one day when I was nine, a teacher came to my defense because I was being bullied pretty harshly because I just wasn't as smart as all the other kids. I was slowing the class down and the teacher stood up, pointed to me in front of the whole class and said, leave that kid alone. That's the boy with the broken brain. So I learned that I was broken. It's not something I was born with this idea that you know I had this limitation, but that label became my limit. So every single time I didn't do well in school, which was every week, I would say, oh, because I have the broken brain, right? And when I was picked for sports, it was all the time, I'd say, oh, because I have the broken brain. So yeah, those are things that I think we all have to go and learn our mindset in terms of what we believe is possible, what we believe we're capable of, what we believe we deserve. I was just doing a talk at uh, Google down the road here. I did his demonstration and they gave me all these things to you know, memorize. And I did it forwards and then I did it backwards. And I said, I don't do this to impress you. I do this to express you what's possible. Because the truth is, regardless who's listening to this right now, whatever your age, your background, your career, education, financial situation, gender, history, IQ, we could all do it. We we're just not taught. We we're taught actually the opposite. We we're taught that a lie that somehow our potential is fixed, our intelligence is fixed, our memory is fixed like your shoe size or something. We discovered more about the human brain in the past, I don't know, 20 years and the previous 2000 years combined. And we found is we're grossly underestimating our own capabilities. Even today, before I went on stage, one of their employees at Google came up to me and said, Jim, I know you're a memory expert. I'm so glad you're here. I have a horrible memory. I'm just really not that smart. And I was like, wait, if you fight for your limitations, you get to keep them. If you fight for your limits, they're yours. At some point, they came to the conclusion or they were told by other people outside of them that they weren't smart enough. And that dramatically changes how you could perform because if you believe you can or believe you can't, either way, you're right. Henry Ford said that. Your brain is this incredible supercomputer and your self-talk is the program it will run. So if you tell yourself, I'm not that smart or I'm not good at remembering names. You will not remember the name of the next person you meet because you program your supercomputer not to. So a lot of what we're talking about to learn faster is partly is just unlearning those limitations. What does the science show at presence about the malleability of our ability to learn, of our intelligence yeah. and things like that? So the brain reduces its potentiality to remain plastic and pliable around age 25. But the thing is, most of our students are older than that. And we have clients and students in every country in the world, 195 nations, so we have a lot of data. And what we found is we could grow older, but in a lot of ways our brain could grow better. And that's really exciting. About one third of your brain's performance and potential, like its memory, is predetermined by genetics and biology, but two thirds is in your control. 
It's in your influence. And there are certain things you could do in your lifestyle that can dramatically improve your focus, your memory, your mental vitality, reduce your early onset of brain aging challenges, and all science-based and all very simple to put into action. The only thing is sometimes what's common sense is not always common practice. A lot of people know what to do, but they're not always doing the things that they know they should do, which is, I think it's great that they can listen to your podcast and get new insight and maybe some inspiration to try just one little new thing. Yeah, and we're going to get into a lot of those little new things on today's episode, but I want to dive into the idea of the limits and labels for a second because they are so limiting. They come externally, but they also come internally. Can you maybe share a few of those insidious labels that we might begin to identify with and then also some pragmatic tools to begin to break through those labels? Yeah. So the new book has four sections and four M's that is so important for our learning in our life. And I call it the limitless model, but essentially it's things we could control. And you always need to control the controllables because it's about priority management. It's not just time management. We hear a lot about that, but priority management is your focus. You don't want to get really good at things that don't matter. Everything is relative depending on what we value you know, in our life. But the things I know we can control was our mindset, our set of assumptions and attitudes about something. But the first way to make those changes is just to be aware that we have them, right? Because you can't change something you're not aware of that needs changing. So that's why it's important to people, whether it's journaling or they meditate or they go to talk therapy, there's different modalities to help people change the limiting beliefs, whether it's EFT, tapping, EMDR, self-hypnosis, there are all kinds of ways you could change your mindset. But there's certain things in mindset that could hold us back. So there are three things usually. What I believe is possible, what I believe I'm capable of, what I believe I deserve. Because you can learn a great method on how to remember names, but again, if your mindset is I'm not smart enough or I'm too old, then you're probably going to be still stuck, right? Same thing, like one of the lies, I call them lies, limiting ideas entertained. Everything's an acronym in my life. I noticed that in your book, do acronyms help us remember better? In short form, those quick mnemonics, those memory aids, it's kind of like back in school, the Great Lakes, you learn through homes. Imagine all these homes on the Great Lakes and H stands for like Huron, O is Ontario, M is Michigan, E is Erie, S is Superior, Roy G. Biv for the colors of the rainbow, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. So this is kind of short form, but for me, when we're going through a lie is a limited idea entertained because it's not true. Like one of the lies in under mindset we talk about that could keep you stuck is genius is born. Like there's a huge part of the population that believes you either born with it, that talent, or you're not born with it. And it's been my experience. I've been doing this for 32 years straight is that genius is not born. Genius is built. I could teach anybody how to excel in any area, and that's my track record, because genius leaves clues. There are a set of methodologies and a mindset and motivation that gets a certain kind of results in people's life, but most people look at it as magic. Like if people see me on YouTube and I memorize 100 people's names, or maybe you see me live at events and doing these mental demonstrations, I do it to kind of disrupt, kind of like how Roger Bannister, in 1954, he broke the four-minute mile. Nobody throughout human history could do it. And how he was able to do it is interesting. He went through a visualization process. He would not only do physical training, but he would do mental training. He would imagine himself crossing the finish line, looking at the clock, and the clock says three minutes and 59 seconds. Because he knows what your listeners know, that success is taking the invisible and making it visible. That's not you'll believe it when you see it. It's actually also you'll see it when you start believing it. 
Some people can't see something that they don't believe is possible. What was interesting is after Roger Bannister did that, nobody could do it for all this time. One person does it, then what happens after that? People start breaking the form in a mile. And it wasn't like there was big advances in shoe technology or nutritional support or training methodology. There was a huge change in people's mindset in terms of their beliefs. So I'll do these little demonstrations, you know, if there's time and on a live stage, just to show people like what's possible. So they started entertaining the idea that, because I had severe learning challenges, like I couldn't read, I couldn't focus, I couldn't remember. My mother became a special education teacher in the public school system to help me with my learning disabilities. I was really on the other side of that bell curve, if you will. But all this stuff could be learned with a little bit of training and a little bit of discipline. And it can be done, you know, in a way that's fun. And so that's one of the lies is that genius is born. It's not, it's absolutely built. Another lie is something like your potential is fixed. As people think that your brain is how your brain, you take an IQ test when you're eight and that's your same potential at 88. And that's absolutely not true. I could teach anybody who's listening how to do better on an IQ test. There's strategies that people don't know that we aren't always taught. Another lie is that we use 10% of our brain. It's a complete lie. We actually use 100% of our brain. It's just like we don't use 10% of our body. We use pretty much 100% of our body. It's just some people use it more efficiently and more effectively than others because they have a training, they have methodology, they have conditioning and fitness. This is how people get physically fit and they're strong and they're energized and flexible and fast and have great endurance. Well, I want you to have greater mental endurance, right? I want you to have greater brain vitality. I want your focus to be sharper. I want your thinking to be more flexible and pliable. I want your reading to be faster. It's like if you have a personal trainer that makes you fit, you know, I want people to be mentally fit, but mentally healthy, because I want to remind people that they're the pilots of their brain. They don't have to be just the passengers and that we have more control than we realize for sure. The genius is born myth is interesting because I also feel like we live in a society that doesn't like effort. We like people who were just born that way. They didn't try very hard and then they experienced all of the success and it can feel almost embarrassing, I want to say. Like there's almost this stigma against trying really hard and having that be the thing you attribute your success to. Yeah. And it's interesting when you study like Dr. Carol Dweck's work at Stanford uh, on growth mindset, they encourage people to actually think the opposite. Even with parenting, going to a child and you don't reward them, you don't say that they're a genius because that's something that potentially is innate because what happens is the first time they fail, they don't know what to do because they either do it or not do it as opposed to rewarding effort you know, wow, you worked really hard on that. So that way, if they can't achieve something, then they just put more effort, you know, and more commitment and more discipline into it. We know that's just going to be more rewarding over time. It's interesting. I think sometimes people default to thinking it's easy or that they're born with it. So they don't have to do it, honestly, (laughs) because it's challenging when we catch ourselves complaining or making excuses this is a real raw conversation. You can't be upset by the results you didn't get from the work you didn't do. So many people want to put it outside of themselves. And the truth is anyone who's achieved anything at a high level, that's the tip of the iceberg we see on social media. What we don't see is everything that's below the water, the sacrifice, the study, the long hours, the hard work. You know, you have your own business. You know, for me, I had to feed my business years and years and years until the business fed me back, right? If you want to grow your income, if you want to grow your bank account, if you want to grow your impact, we have to grow also. I think personal ownership is so very important. It's tough when we're comparing our lives on social media to that highlight trailer that we see. And sometimes it's greener 
on social media because of the filter they're using. That's why you say it's greener on the other side, but really the truth is it's greener where you water it. On social media though, it could be greener because there's a lot of artificial turf <laughs> out there also as well. So it's to buy into it that, but you don't want to compare yourself to other people, right? And we know that inherently. But we do it all yeah, day well, long. <laughs> yeah, of course. But I, you know, I, I think you don't want to compare your chapter two to someone else's chapter 21, right? Someone who's been doing it for a lot longer. And I would say also, if you're going to compare yourself to anybody, make it the person who you were yesterday. Mm, I love that. So that's mindset. And the first step with mindset, it sounds like, is to develop an awareness of the limiting beliefs that we have. Yeah. And then try any number of methodologies. Yeah. And even something simple like auditing your self-talk, meaning if you find yourself saying, I don't have a great memory, then just add a little word like yet at the end. I don't have a great memory yet. It lands differently, right? Even if you find yourself saying, oh man, I got to pick up the kids today. I got to get my reading in today. I got to work out today. Even if you change a little word like got to get, like you shift an O to an E. I get to work out today. I get to pick up the kids today. I get to read and study and improve myself today. It just feels differently. Those little changes that start with self-awareness, little by little, a little becomes a lot. And do you think it's important to look for people who have already accomplished the things that you're trying to accomplish. Like you said, with the four-minute mile guy, he was visualizing something that nobody else could visualize yet because they didn't have the ability to think about the possibility of that. How do we visualize what's not possible or should we be always trying to find somebody else who has made that possible to make that visualization possible for ourselves? Yeah, yeah. Everybody's a little different. We have something called brain animals that I created for people that personalize learning. So we've discovered that there are four brain animals. And I pulled from psychology and science, multiple intelligence theory out of Harvard with Howard Gardner, pulled out a lateral dominance theory, left brain, right brain, introvert, extrovert, ambivert, from personality types like Myers-Briggs. So all these different places to realize that there are four buckets that we fall in, and I call it a brain animal code. And this relates to your question because some people learn best through role modeling, and having an example. So the brain code, it's an abbreviation code, but the C is the cheetah. And these are your fast actors. These are people who have strong intuition. They thrive in dynamic environments. They can adapt very quickly. That's a cheetah because they're very fast. The O in code are your owls. And these are people who are very logical. I don't know if you know somebody who just loves data. They love facts and figures. And even just thinking about it, like an owl would invest differently than a cheetah, right? They would learn differently. A D is a dolphin. These are creative visionaries. And these are people, they could actually see a future for themselves because they have a great imagination, great creativity that maybe other people can't see yet, right? And so those are your creative dolphins. And finally, the E are your elephants. And your elephants are very loyal. They love collaboration. They have strong interpersonal skills. They have a high level of empathy. They love being in groups. You know, they're the ones that kind of bring everybody together and they learn also through groups, whether like, let's say a book club or something like that. And so once you know your brain animal type and we put a quiz online, it's free, nothing to buy, you'll get a detailed report. This is your animal and this is how you could read better. This is how you can remember better. This is how you could focus. This is how you could actually create a team. We even had everybody on our team do it and we found out 100% of the customer support team are elephants which is interesting. They have high levels of empathy, interpersonal skills. They're there to bring people together. Our CFO is an owl. And that's probably what you want. You don't like you want your CFO to necessarily be creative, but they love data. Our CEO, my business partner, she is a dolphin. She has a vision for what we're going to do in education and brain optimization. 
So it's interesting. People could take the quiz at mybrainanimal.com. And it's only four minutes, which is the best thing. I'm a mix of an owl and an elephant. I do a lot of the research. So I read all the white papers and I try to take neuroscience or adult advanced learning theory and make it very practical. I have a high elephant empath because I know what it's like to suffer and struggle the way I did growing up. I could detect suffering because I went through it so much with feeling isolated, marginalized, having a lot of self-doubt and fears of being called on or public speaking, all that stuff. Once you know your brain animal, then you know the key, Liz, it's not how smart you are, it's how are you smart. It's not how smart your spouse is, it's how are they smart. And we all have just ways that we prefer that we lean in. Just like if you're right hand, it doesn't mean you don't use your left hand. It's just that's what you do with confidence, with ease. And sometimes when we're trying to learn something, we're trying to learn it with the opposite hand. We're trying to you know, access a different animal brain than we are, so it takes longer. The quality is not quite as good. It feels a little uncomfortable if you're doing it with your opposite hand. So this is a wonderful way to know yourself and then know people around you, making sure that your family is supported the way they need to. Because sometimes the way a person teaches when you're trying to learn something is different than the way you prefer to learn. And you're like two ships in the night and you pass each other and you don't even know the other one's there because there's no connection with learning. And I love how it highlights that we all just have different brain aptitudes. And I think there are certain brain aptitudes that are really societally celebrated and lauded, and it can make the people who have other great things going on with their brains just feel neglected, unimportant, unintelligent, all of these things. You also talk about different types of genius in the book. Can you get into that? There's different frameworks for it. I'll give you one of them. One of them is exactly what you're talking about. So Howard Gardner did research out at Harvard on multiple intelligence theory. And basically the idea here is you're right. When people are tested and celebrated for certain intelligences, there's usually two. It's usually like SATs. What's SATs? It's verbal, linguistic, and it's mathematical. And that's the whole standardized test that's going to get you into universities and everything else like that. But what if you're not strong in those two areas? And so what IQ tests are saying is, hey, your IQ is fixed, your potential is fixed. We know intelligence is not fixed, that you could get better, let's say, linguistically. You become a better reader with proper training. You could read faster, you can understand it more, you can retain it more, but we discount that. So multiple intelligence theory says there aren't two intelligences, there's at least eight So think about the other forms of intelligence, visual spatial intelligence. These are people who are amazing artists. They can be an architect. They can be a great graphic designer. They're out there making NFTs, whatever, but they have this visual spatial intelligence that they could see something and make it a piece of art. That's maybe a third form of intelligence. What about kinesthetic intelligence? The amazing athletes, the amazing dancers, the amazing martial artists, people who have an incredible intelligence and genius inside their own body, in their own movement. What about interpersonal intelligence? People who are just amazing with other people. They have this amazing connection, the ability to connect, and they have this charisma. And everybody could fall into different careers based on that. Maybe it's a show host, or maybe it's a therapist, or maybe it's a teacher, a salesperson, good interpersonal intelligence. Interpersonal is one to others. Intrapersonal is your intelligence with yourself. Like the people who have such high self-awareness, or they have a high level of understanding of the human condition like a Gandhi, somebody could kind of look within and understand. And so that's another form of intelligence. Another form of intelligence, musical intelligence. You have amazing abilities with musical instruments or with their voice. They have a great composition. They're in some kind of uh, orchestra. These are just an idea of it. But the main idea here is it's not how smart you are. It's how are you smart, how it's expressed. 
And all these areas I mentioned aren't fixed. You can improve your abilities, your knowledge, skills, and abilities in all these different areas and get smarter. I think that's so amazing. If you don't know how to do something, you can learn how to do it. Like children, they don't know how to walk, but they eventually learn how to walk or learn how to ride a bike. As adults, sometimes we stop trying because we don't want to look bad. We'll try to practice that musical or take a couple of salsa lessons, but then, you know, we're so afraid of what people are going to think. Children don't have that same kind of fear. Yeah. Okay. I have two questions about that. One, you're a new dad. You have a nine-month-old baby. I'm curious if there's anything that you've learned in your brain training research that's going to change how you're going to approach parenting. That's an interesting conversation. I had this attitude where I want to teach this child so much. And it's been the exact opposite. I feel like I'm learning so much from just watching. Like this kid is just so present, also so cheerful, so playful, you know, is trying to stand up and trying to stand up. We'll try like 30, 40 times and doesn't care what anyone else around him thinks. You know what I mean? And I just feel like there's so much that we can learn, especially from children. And children are some of the fastest learners out there. Think how fast a child can learn a musical instrument or another language compared to an adult. But sometimes they learn through play. And sometimes as we grow older, we stop playing. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe we stop playing and because that we grew older. I just remember growing up, it was always like, hey, do you want to go out and play? And then at some point we changed like, hey, do you want to hang out or something like that? There's a tremendous value in play. That's why at our events, we play all these different games because I feel like learning can be fun and enjoyable. And so much of learning is state dependent. And so with children, certainly there's a diet component and hacking the sleep and doing some of the stuff that we teach. But also I just feel like that we can learn so much just from anyone, especially a kid. I spend so much of my time interviewing the world's best doctors right here on this podcast that it makes my standards so high when I'm looking for new doctors of my own. Truly, I am so picky when it comes to who's providing my care. It used to feel impossible to find good doctors. I would ask everybody I know for the recommendations, and I would scour the internet for reviews and write-ups, and it would take me literally forever. And then when I'd finally found my dream doctor, there was always a snag in the plan. They would either be booked out for a year or not accepting new patients at all or not take my insurance. It was always such a nightmare, and it left me starting right back over again at square one. That is until I found ZocDoc. It is like my dream come true. ZocDoc is a free app where you can find amazing doctors and book appointments online. We are talking about booking appointments with thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed doctors and specialists. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat almost any condition you're searching for. You can find therapists, gynecologists, dermatologists, general practitioners, anyone you need. And you can read reviews of those people written by actual patients so you won't get someone with a crappy bedside manner or who isn't up to date on the latest research. You can get a really good vibe before you even walk into the office. The typical wait time to see a doctor booked through ZocDoc is between just 24 and 72 hours, and you can even score same-day appointments. Once you find the doctor you're looking for, you can book immediately right through the app. You don't have to send any emails or get on the phone, which saves so much time. I genuinely do not know where I would be if ZocDoc hadn't entered my life. 
probably still wasting hours away on the internet trying to find the doctor of my dreams. We all deserve the best possible healthcare, and I am so thankful that ZocDoc makes it so easy to find. Go to ZocDoc.com slash Liz Moody and download the ZocDoc app for free, and then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash Liz Moody. ZocTalk.com slash Liz Moody. I absolutely love a low-lift daily habit that has a big payoff over time. It's why I am always asking podcast guests for little hacks and tips that we can all do easily to live a better life without sacrificing a ton of time or energy. And that's why I love AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. I know there are a lot of people who wonder if AG1 is overhyped because so many people talk about it, but in this case, it's just one of those things that's super hyped because it's actually that good. I gave AG1 a try because I wanted a single solution that supports my entire body and covers my nutritional bases every day, no matter how the rest of the day goes, especially for gut health and immune support. I just mix a scoop of AG1 into my water. You can also mix it into juice or a smoothie, but I genuinely love the taste, so I go with water. And boom, you have this incredible insurance that you've gotten your foundational nutrition in from that one-minute habit in your day. I'm always trying to eat veggie-packed, nutritionally dense meals, but I am not perfect, so AG1 helps support me with 75 vitamins, minerals, whole foods, or superfoods, and adaptogens to cover the bases. I love how it gives me some gentle energy right after I drink it without any jitter so it doesn't stoke my anxiety like caffeine. It gives me a ton of mental clarity and clears any sluggishness or brain fog that I have, which is why even though a lot of people start their day with it, I actually prefer to drink mine in the early afternoon when I have that 3 p.m. slump. And it is not a placebo effect. AG1 has so many ingredients that have been extensively researched for their brain health effects like rhodiola root dry extract, hawthorn berry, and rosemary to name just a few. It also has less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, and no artificial anything, and they are third-party tested, which is always so important to look for. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a one-year supply of their amazing vitamin D3 and K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash Liz Moody. That's drinkag1.com slash Liz Moody. Is there anything that we could do as adults to bring more play into our lives? It sounds easy. We're all like, yeah, I'd love more of that, but it can be hard to actually do in practice. Yeah. I think I would say start small, but start somewhere. It's one of the things that lights you up. Sometimes we feel burnt out, not because we're doing too much. Sometimes we feel burnt out because we're doing too little of the things that make us come alive and uh, things that bring us joy. And it can be something simple. It also help your brain. Little things like learning how to juggle. It seems so silly, but if you could go on YouTube, we have unfeathered access to everything. There's a study done at Oxford University saying jugglers actually have bigger brains. You create more white matter. And juggling can be a form of play. It teaches you a lot about life because so many people feel like they're juggling, right? They feel like they're juggling a lot of balls in the air or flaming swords or (laughs) electric saws, whatever, you know, however dynamic your life is. But I would say that introducing play is a wonderful way to learn. It's a wonderful way to connect more of your joy and gamifying things. Even, you know, as you're reading or you're learning, turning into a game, you can even turn like watching television, which is a very 
inactive experience, you can make it more active by pretending you're one of the characters, you know, and what are they going through? And I read a lot of nonfiction. Nonfiction is wonderful to learn through information, but fiction actually is a wonderful way to learn through imagination. And imagination is a form of play, like kids pretending that they're superheroes or pretending, you know, that they have these alter egos or pretending that they're a doctor or what have you. It's a wonderful way to open up the mind. And they say that a mind, once it's stretched by a new idea, it never regains its original dimensions. Oliver Wendell Holmes said that play is a wonderful way to stretch ourselves. So I would see and expose yourself to things and see where your passion, your heart kind of takes you because it's different for every single person. Maybe it's karaoke, you know, maybe it's some improv play. Maybe it's as simple as a puzzle or a board game that you're doing at family night. But I think so much wonderful things come out of the sense of play. It's also a wonderful way to manage your stress because so many people have work stress or school stress or financial stress. And sports is a form of play. And for parents who are listening, if they wanted to make sure that they are encouraging their children to feel proud of and lean into whatever form of genius, whatever form of intelligence they have, especially in a world where at school and a lot of other environments, they're going to be rewarded for a very specific type of intelligence. Is there any advice that you could give them? With kids, my approach would be giving them exposure to things, new ideas, new books, new thinkings, whatever happens to be to see where their passion pulls them. Because passion is something that I would define as something that lights you up. But people need stimulus and you're not limited to just having one passion in life. And so giving them enough stimulus so they could decide for themselves and you could kind of see what sports they naturally gravitate towards or creative pursuits or writing or music, but they need to have exposure, you know, in order for them to know that, right? And so what I would say is passion is what lights you up. And then eventually they'll learn how their passion can potentially light somebody else up meaning that's what I think our purpose is. I think passion is what lights you up. Like learning is my passion. It wasn't always because I wasn't really good at it. But once I started to own it around age 18, it really lights me up. And how I use my passion to light other people is, if learning is my passion, teaching people how to learn is my purpose. With kids, giving them enough stimulus and novelty to see what their heart or their spirit gets drawn to, and then encouraging them for their hard work and efforts. I think it's just so very important nowadays because whatever you reinforce and you reward, you get more of. That's just behavioral conditioning. So whatever you compliment, whatever you reward, whatever you give positive feedback for, you're gonna get more of that behavior. And so I think one of the most important things to reward is hard work and effort. I have this general belief if I could go back and talk to a nine-year-old kid that felt broken, what I want that child to own or eventually understand is that number one, you are 100% responsible for your life. I think that's important that we don't put it outside of ourselves, that we maintain our agency, how you manage how you feel. Even something like the weather, you trick kids into thinking unconsciously, they'll pick up like when it's raining outside and you're in a bad mood and you're like, oh, today's really horrible because it's raining. They learn that their emotions are affected by the weather as opposed to finding joy in it. The human mind is always looking to associate new meanings to things. They can understand and make good choices. But I would give them a lot of stimulus and reward them for making an effort. I think that's a good foundation for anything. I think that's really good advice for adults as well. I think a lot of adults wish they had more passion in their life and exposing themselves to a lot of different stimulus and then rewarding themselves for sticking with that stimulus or seeing what they're drawn to is really Hmm. good advice for adults as well. 
Another thing I loved that you said was that sometimes we'll try to pick up something new like tennis or juggling and it'll feel really, really hard at first. And you talk about in your book how struggle is actually the first state of flow. I found this fascinating because I think that struggle is so often a deterrent for people trying to meditate, trying to learn something new. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I found it very comforting. If something is too easy, I feel like we're not learning anything. We're not growing. We're just validating what we already know. There's not any difficulty in there. Working out can be a good metaphor. You give it yourself novelty and then you give your body nutrition, meaning novelty, you give it exercise and stimulus and you do those curls or those push-ups or whatever, and then you are rewarded for it also. We don't see everything like that. When we see we have to learn something new, like some of the memory things we teach or teach people how to read faster, they see it as a chore, but you're right. In order to access flow, it's a balance between two things. It's challenge and capabilities, meaning... If your capability is too high and your challenge is too low, then you're bored and you're not going to get in a state of flow. Now, flow is that state of you feel your best and you perform your best. People call it like they're in the zone and other people access it through sports. For me, writing puts me in flow. Running puts me in flow. But it's always this thing where if the capability is too high and the challenge is too low, you won't get into flow because it's easy. You're just bored. But if you reverse it, and the challenge is too high and your competency or capability is too low, you're not in flow because you're stressed because the challenge is way higher, 10 times higher than your capabilities, right? What you're looking for is equilibrium where the challenge is there, but it's stretching you. So you have to be engaged in that activity. And the markers for flow are three things. You lose your sense of self. Maybe people could remember a time where they were in a flow state. We weren't even thinking about like how you looked or your ego or anything. You kind of lost your sense of being, your sense of self. You lose your sense of time. You don't know if five minutes went by or five hours went by, right? So it's like this big time distortion. And then also it seems like it's effortless as well. But in order to get to there, you need to go through a little struggle, So that's why a lot of people can't get to the access to flow because they get a little bit of struggle and a little bit of challenge, they give up. It's interesting because I feel like it's true on this overarching basis, but even in an individual basis, like whenever I meditate, the first five minutes, I feel like I'm more anxious, I'm more distracted, it just feels terrible. But if I push through that five minutes, I get into a state where everything feels so calm. It's like you shake up the snow globe and then it settles. Oh, I like that. That's a great visual. (laughs) No, I, I believe it because, you know, when you're going through certain things that life is hard for, for one of two reasons, either you're leaving your comfort zone, you know, life is hard, you're doing things uncomfortable, or because life is hard because we're staying in our comfort zone. And life could be equally hard if you just stay there when you're not growing. These little choices that we make, life is the letter C between B and D, B is birth, D is death, life C is choice. We can make these small little choices every single day. And if we just do the easy things in life, The truth is life gets hard. If you just procrastinate all the time, then it catches up with you and life gets a lot harder. If you just binge watch everything, then life gets hard. But if you do the hard things in life, then life tends to get easier. We have to choose our hard. You hear it all the time. Being broke is hard. And going out there and starting a business or making money can be hard, but we have to choose our hard. Being unhealthy and sick is very hard. And sometimes eating all the brain foods and prioritizing your sleep and going to work out each day, that's hard too. But we make those choices, right? And sometimes you don't have to go out our way to find difficulty. 
But I don't know one strong person that had an easy life. I just don't. My parents, they immigrated here. My dad was 13, lost both of his parents. You know, we lived in the back of a laundromat that my mom worked at, didn't speak the language, didn't have a network, had no education. You know, we were there just cutting coupons. But I think with struggles come strengths. With challenge comes change. And I think adversity can be an advantage. I mean, just in my case, my two biggest challenges growing up were learning and public speaking. And life has a sense of humor because all I do is public speak on this thing called learning. But I do believe that we hear a lot about post-traumatic stress, that there's also a form of post-traumatic growth. Some people listening to this, maybe you went through hardship that you wouldn't wish upon anybody, but the real deal is you wouldn't change it, what happened, that you found something, maybe a mission, you found a trait, you know, found a strength, maybe found a purpose, something that came through it. Because I think there's some things we can only learn from a storm. Yeah, I completely agree. I've been on book tour. I've been doing all these press interviews and I've been talking a lot about my story, which is it started with me being agoraphobic and having panic attacks whenever I left my bed, my house, anything like that. And I've been reflecting on, I think for the first time in my life, I'm like, I wouldn't change that because I do think that's a critical part of how I ended up where I am now. And if you'd told me then that I would say that now, I would have just been like, what are you talking about? That is so awesome. I just got goosebumps. I call them truth bumps. (laughs) I love that. Okay. Talk to me about motivation. What's one thing that's limiting our motivation? And then what's one pragmatic way that we can tap into limitless motivation? Yeah. So if someone self-sabotages, that's usually a mindset issue that we talked about earlier. If people procrastinate, that's definitely a motivation issue. Once you master your mindset and you believe everything is possible, you deserve it, you're capable of it. Are you motivated to get unstuck? Motivation is just three things for me. If you want limitless motivation for yourself or somebody else, like you want to motivate your kids, you want to motivate someone to buy, you want to motivate them to invest, it's only three things. The formula is P times E times S3. P times E times S3. So the P stands for purpose. Even remembering someone's name, right? Someone wants to remember names and a lot of people complain that they're not good at remembering names. A lot of them, they don't have a P, they don't have a purpose. Even something simple like asking yourself, why do I want to remember this person's name? And come up with a reason or two. Maybe I want to show the person respect, make a new friend, get a referral, make a deal, practice these things I learned on this podcast, right? If you can't come up with a reason, you won't get the reward because reasons reap results. So P is purpose. And I want to stress whatever it is, let's say it's exercise, right? Exercise is great for the brain. When you exercise, you create brain-derived neurotropic factors, BDNF, which is like fertilizer for neuroplasticity, neurogenesis. It helps you make new connections, create new brain cells. But if we're not doing it consistently, the P would be purpose is to feel it, not just intellectual. Everyone knows they should be moving more. But we are not logical, we're biological. You think about dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins, we are this feeling chemical soup. You know, I remember seeing somebody on the street down the road from here, and I knew I knew this person, but I couldn't recognize them. They looked different. And it was really messing with my mind because I'm really good with faces and names and everything. And he said hello to me. And when I heard his voice, I was like, knew who he was. I was like, wait, I have to ask something. You look totally different. And the backstory is this person was incredibly unhealthy, like took pride in being unhealthy, had all these bad behaviors. And I was like, well, what happened? Because when I saw him, he looked like 15 years younger. He is like super fit. He had this glow and energy. And he was like, he was telling me all the things he did. And I'm like, my friends and I, we've been telling you about this for like 10 years and you never did anything, right? 
He's like, yeah, but I came back from a business trip recently and my daughter was on the carpet crying hysterically. And I found out she had a nightmare that I died. And that touched exactly here. So it wasn't intellectual anymore. He knew all the reasons why he should have been eating better foods and not smoking and doing all that stuff. And it went into his heart because we are emotional creatures. So when I'm saying purpose on a scale of zero to 10, how much do you want that thing? right? If you don't have a reason to do it, you're not going to get the result. You're going to have to use willpower and willpower just doesn't last. So find purpose. The second E says P times E times S3, E is energy. You know, the second thing you could do besides tapping into your purpose to motivate yourself or somebody else is to make sure they have enough energy. If your kids ate a big processed meal, they're not going to be very motivated to study right? Because they lack energy. Me as having an infant who does not sleeping well and teething, I haven't slept well in weeks. <laughs> it affects my motivation to work out, something that I normally would do. But when you're exhausted, it affects your motivation, right? And you're more likely to procrastinate. And so what I'm here to just remind everybody is there are a lot of things you could do because you don't have energy, you do it. A big part of Limitless Expanded is taking the nouns in your life and turning them into verbs. Because we hypnotize ourselves, we were talking about this earlier, into saying, I don't have energy, I don't have focus, I don't have a great memory, I don't have motivation, I don't have creativity. None of these things do you have, they're not nouns, they're verbs. You don't have focus, you do focus. You don't have energy, there's a process for generating energy. You don't have motivation, there's a process for motivating yourself. You don't even have a memory, there's a process for memorizing, right? And so this puts the onus back on you where you are 100% responsible for your life. The other belief I have besides your 100% response for your life is you can figure anything out. With enough commitment, enough creativity, you can figure it out. But figuring out motivation, I thought, hey, somebody needs purpose. They need to feel it. Or if you want someone to buy, they don't buy logically, they buy emotionally. They have to feel purpose. Then you have to have enough energy to get yourself to the starting line and eventually the finish line. So that's why we teach in the book how to optimize your sleep, what are the best brain foods, how to manage your stress, because that could be a killer and siphon your energy. And then finally, the third thing I would recommend for more limitless motivation is not only purpose and energy. Somebody could have limitless purpose and limitless energy and still not be motivated because that goal that they have is too intimidating. But a confused mind doesn't do anything. So S3, P times E times S3 is small, simple steps. How can you break it down into something that's manageable? Maybe if you don't work out ever in your life, that's a big deal. So a small, simple step is putting on your sneakers. People don't floss, like your kids don't floss. Maybe that's too big of a habit. Get them to floss one tooth. That's a small, simple step because nobody's going to stop with one. If somebody doesn't read, somebody could read your book in a few days. They can download all that wisdom in just a few days. But if they don't read on a regular, maybe it's too big. But a small, simple step, open the book. Small, simple step, read one line. And how you find your small, simple step is this one question. I would recommend everyone writes it down. It's a question I ask myself dozens of times a day when I get stalled. I ask myself, what is the tiniest action I could take right now that will give me progress towards this goal where I can't fail? What is the tiniest action I could take right now that will give me progress towards this goal where I simply cannot fail? And then you'll find your small, simple step. Maybe it's too daunting for a kid to feel like they have to clean this whole room, but maybe putting one sock into the hamper is a small, simple step. And then after a while, you get to the momentum right? When you're consistent about it. I'm fascinated with human motivation. I'm disappointed every single time I hear somebody buys a book and it sits on their shelf unread and becomes self-help, not self-help because they're not motivated to get themselves to do it. Or they have the third M, 
We talk about mindset. We talk about motivation. The third M are the methods you use. Some people are, they haven't taken a reading class since they were six years old, so they're not great readers, right? And so we, there should have been continuing education on reading because there's so much more people could read and so much less time and absorb so much more, retain so much more, but we weren't taught that. So they have old methods. So you can be stuck either you have a compromised mindset you don't believe it's possible, you're compromised motivation, you're not motivated to get out of that box, or you're using old methods for health, for weight loss, old methods for sales, old methods for marketing, old methods for reading or memorizing something. With limitless is, it's not about being perfect. Limitless is about redrawing the borders and boundaries of what's possible. That we shouldn't be downgrading our dreams to meet the current situation out of fear. We should be thinking, how do I upgrade my mindset, my motivation, my methods to be able to meet my destiny? I am so, so excited to share this brand with you. I started trying Osmia because Zach and I were nomading in Carbondale and everyone was like, oh, the founder of Osmia lives there. You should hang out with her. So I DM'd her and we hung out and I was blown away by how brilliant she was and how absolutely incredible her products were. After a decade in emergency medicine, Dr. Sarah Villafranco founded Osmia to help people discover healthier, happier skin. Sound familiar? Without the use of parabens, phthalates, petrochemicals, sulfates, ethoxylates, synthetic fragrance, or artificial colors. But the products do not sacrifice at all when it comes to efficacy. Sarah is utilizing a deep understanding of science and of the whole health of our body, like how our skin interacts with our gut and our hormones to create the most beautiful and lovely to use products. I'm going to call out a few of my favorites. I told Sarah that my skin was so dry in the Colorado climate and I needed help, and she introduced me to two products that have become my absolute heroes. The Lip Repair Overnight Mask is literally exactly like the viral Laneige lip sleeping mask, but with way better ingredients, which is so important because you are literally eating it all night. It completely healed my dry cracked lips and it made them buttery soft and I just cannot recommend it enough. Then the Nectar Nourishing Drops are like magic in a bottle and a total favorite. Oils can be hard to penetrate skin on their own, but the secret with these is that you mix them into a moisturizer. You can use any moisturizer, but I love the Osmia Purely Simple Face Cream, and then it turns that moisturizer into the most luxurious, super-powered hydrator in the world. It's calming. It's so moisturizing. I've just never had my skin feel like this. And because you only use a few drops each time, it lasts forever. Sarah is also famous for creating products that help with perioral dermatitis or when you get red and broken out around your mouth, eczema, and acne, even when nothing else works. So I highly recommend checking out that area of her site. If you deal with those, you can search by skin type. And then finally, I want to shout out the Bar Soap, which is her first product and what she got famous for. Besides being eco-friendly because you're skipping all the packaging, the ingredients in these soaps are amazing. They make your skin feel so good and they smell so good. My two favorites are Coffee Mint, which is part of their core soap collection, and Amber Sun, which is a seasonal soap. They have a seasonal collection called the Craft Series in the featured section of the website, and they release super special soaps, body oils, and body mousses for every season, so definitely check those out. If you would like to try any Osmia skincare products for yourself, they have so generously created a code for the Liz Moody podcast listeners. Code Liz Moody is good for 20% off your first order with Osmia at osmiaskincare.com. You need to try the lip repair mask, trust me. So add that to your cart right away. Once again, code Liz Moody is good for 20% off your first order with Osmia at osmiaskincare.com. 
My favorite health hacks are the ones that have the biggest payoffs for the smallest amounts of effort, and this is such a good one. When you are drinking your tea or coffee in the morning, just add one packet or scoop of Great Lakes Wellness Collagen Peptides. I definitely was a bit of a collagen skeptic until I had dermatologist Dr. Whitney Bow on the podcast. You can scroll back to her Ask the Doctor episode. She said it is not a myth. There is research to support how great collagen is for your skin. And then, of course, I did my own deep dive and I was so impressed with the known benefits for things like your skin, your hair, and your joint health. Studies show that collagen can help improve your skin's hydration, which is something that I am especially looking for during this time of year when everything just feels a little bit drier. Zach likes the marine collagen, and then I like the grass-fed beef collagen, but both are incredibly well-sourced and certified by third parties, which is the number one thing that I look for. And since I've started incorporating collagen into my everyday routine, I have noticed strong and healthy nails, and my hair feels thicker and fuller, which we love, and Zach's knees are feeling so good despite all of the time that he is spending running. One of my favorite things about the Great Lakes Wellness Collagen Peptides is that I cannot taste them at all, and they dissolve so well in hot and cold beverages. Not all collagen can dissolve in cold beverages, and some days you just want an iced tea. To try out Great Lakes Wellness Collagen Packets or their bigger tubs, use code LizMoody for 25% off. Yes, 25% off. That is a huge discount off of your first purchase at greatlakeswellness.com. That is LizMoody for 25% off at greatlakeswellness.com. Reading is another one where I think it's really helpful too to remind yourself that the struggle is the first step of the yeah. flow because the first few pages always you're distracted. Our brains are used to distraction. Our brains are constantly yeah, practicing yeah. distraction. And so you're having to retrain it into practicing focus in that moment. And if you can break through that struggle period, I often find after five, 10 minutes of reading, that's when I really fall into the book. Yeah. I think it's one of those things where reading for a lot of people, their mind wanders they, have you ever read a page in a book, got to the end and just forgot what you just read? There's little things. There's so many things people can do to help with their focus. Part of the reason why people, their mind wanders is they're actually reading too slowly. It's interesting. Your brain is this incredible supercomputer. And when you're reading, you feed it one word at a time. Metaphorically, we're starving our mind. If we were to talk that slowly, everyone would tune out. They'd fall asleep. Their mind would wander. But isn't that the same thing that happens when people are reading? They tune out, their mind wanders, they fall asleep, they use reading as a sedative. So what happens is you're reading too slow and your mind gets bored and that's why all those things happen. Because if you don't give your brain the stimulus it needs, it'll seek entertainment elsewhere in the form of distraction mm. and mind wandering. So actually we have the number one speed reading course in the world and we find that we have a lot of data. The faster readers actually have better comprehension because they have better focus. It's similar to somebody driving a car in, in a neighborhood. They could be going slowly. They're not really focused on driving. They're thinking about the dry cleaning, they're texting, they're checking their makeup, they're thinking about things they have to do, drinking their coffee, whatever. They could be doing five things when you're going slow. But if you're racing cars and you're taking hairpin turns at 180 miles an hour, are you thinking about the dry cleaning? No, you're thinking about what's in front of you and the act of driving. That's what reading is. If you're reading too slow, you could be doing like five different things, your mind's everywhere. But if you're reading faster, you're focused on what's in front of you and you're focused on the act of actually reading. We posted as a thank you for people that purchased the book, they get a speed reading course, which is amazing. So when the book arrives, you're gonna be like, can't wait to get through it because you already have these reading and memory abilities. 
I love that. And then can you just speak briefly to momentum and then we'll do a little speed round? So momentum really is the fourth M and that's why I updated the extended version of Limitless, the new version, because momentum is what everybody wants, right? It's like you're out of this kind of gravity well that takes all the fuel, like a spaceship that leaves the earth, it uses 95% of the fuel just to get there. And then you could just flick it and it just goes because it has that momentum, it doesn't have the friction. But once you unlimit your mindset, your motivation, your methods, then you have momentum. So we added all this extra research, all these extra chapters in the book on how to sustain and accelerate your momentum. Like AI, we talk about AI in the form of not artificial intelligence, but the question was, how do you use AI to improve your HI, your human intelligence? So I see it not as artificial intelligence, I see it as your augmented intelligence. So we talk about how to use AI to improve your personal learning. Also, we talk about nootropics and something I've never talked about in 30 years as a brain coach, but what are the supplements that could dramatically help your focus, your mood, your uh, mental vitality, your memory also as well, because that could help you sustain momentum. We talk about the chapter on your brain animal type. Once you understand your preferred way of learning and your preferred way of thinking, your preferred way of reading and creating and consuming, that creates so much more momentum because you're not going against your strengths, right? And it creates also momentum with your team because you know what animal they are. And so you know what their capabilities are, their strengths are, their weaknesses are, and you can make sure that you arrange your team and delegate accordingly. And then we talk about learning agility also, how to be limitless at work. Like we think about physical agility, people are fast, they're limber, they're agile and flexible. Well, you want your mind to be like that too, especially if you're working in an office and then remote and then hybrid. Or if you want to just jump from book to book, then keep a solid pace going through multiple books. It takes a certain learning agility. Or if you're going to try to multitask, there's ways of doing it just easier and more effectively. Love it. Okay, we're going to do a quick speed round. What is one favorite way to take care of and boost our physical brain health? Move your body. As your body moves, your brain grooves. When you move your body, you create brain-derived neurotropic factors, being the ENF, which we talked about. Simply get your walking in. Especially if you listen to this podcast while you're walking, you'll actually retain more of it and comprehend more of it. Move more. They say sitting is a new smoking. We're seeing mind screens all day long. Take a brain break to move. Love that. Can you give me one thing that we do wrong when we're trying to study or learn something quickly and then one tip to do it better? Yeah, I would say we cram. Back in school, most people didn't study to learn, they crammed to forget. You remember you didn't study at all for weeks and then you just pull all-nighters and the next morning nobody could talk to you because you don't want anything to spill out of your head at breakfast and you can't wait to take the exam. And as soon as the exam's done, all the information is like gone. That's cramming to forget. So I would say that's a bad habit and it doesn't get you long-term results. But studying to remember, one technique you can use is the Pomodoro technique. The Pomodoro technique says you want it to take a break every 25 to 30 to 60 minutes. After about 25 minutes, the size of like a sitcom, there's a dramatic drop in your focus and your comprehension and your concentration. And so the idea here is you set a timer where you set it for like 30 minutes, you do a sprint, and then you take a five-minute brain break. Not like a 30-minute break, but a five-minute brain break. And you do three things. You hydrate, you breathe, and you move. Just regenerate and recover and then come back strong again. So it's a wonderful way to do four or five sessions. You just crush the day. I love that. I also love that in your book, you prompted us to read it with a Pomodoro method. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Read, read for 25, 30 yeah. minutes. Even when you listen to something, try to do it in those pieces, take a break, come back to it. 
One tip for beating the limitless distraction well that is our phones. Yeah. The worst habit we have is to grab our phones first thing in the morning because it literally flexes your muscles for distraction. Every ring, ping, ding, app notification, cat video, like, share, comment, it's driving your dopamine. And it's just, you wonder why you can't focus when you're at work or when you're with your kids or you're on a Zoom call, your mind goes everywhere because the first thing you did in the morning was flex your distraction as opposed to setting your phone aside. I think one of the most important functionalities that the phone has is airplane mode. The brain is not meant to be context switching so quickly and having unfeathered access to everything going on in the world. It's very incredibly emotionally and energetically draining. It's not great for the eyes to be on screens all day also. So visual fatigue will lead to mental fatigue. So I'll throw that in there. Be conscious. Technology is a tool for you to use, but if the technology is using you, then you become the tool. So disconnect to reconnect and do it mindfully. It's just so hard because they're designed to be these dopamine hits. So you would say, if you do one thing, it's stay off at first thing in the morning. And then late at night because it'll affect your sleep and your peace of mind. Even at a meal, it's nice to turn it off and just be present with your family or your friends. I also think it's important what you noted, which is that when we reach for our phone first thing, we're practicing distraction. And it's helpful for me to remind myself that every moment I'm not on my phone, I'm not reaching for my phone, I'm practicing focus. So it will get easier the more I do it. Absolutely. Just like reading, just like working out. It's always the first few times. It's the hardest. Can you share one tip for noodling through a problem? I often find that the problem is not really the problem. The problem is usually our attitude about the problem our attitudes and our assumption. I have an annual brain power conference for high achievers. And one time we did it and Quincy Jones was in the audience, the famous music producer. And I I said, can you please come on stage? I have to use this opportunity and we need to learn from you. And I asked him, everybody knows your successes, Thriller and Oprah and We Are the World, all this. I want to know about your problems. Like, what are the problems that you have faced or are currently facing? And he looked at me dead in the eyes. He was like, Jim, I have no problems. I'm like, okay, well, I'm pretty sure you do because if you're human, you have problems. He was like, no, I don't have problems. I have puzzles. So I was like, what an amazing reframe on a problem to look at it through the lens of a puzzle because automatically puzzle for me is going back to like a kid again. It's like I used to do these puzzles and it was a form of play. And what's the presupposition of every puzzle is that there is a solution, right? If people want to noodle over like a problem, I would say reframe up that problem existing and just start calling it a puzzle and see if things change. Because if you change the way you see things, the things that you see definitely change. I love that. What is one way that we can optimize our calendar use to enhance productivity? Your calendar is the number one productivity performance tool that we have that we rarely use. When I'm listening to a podcast like yours or reading a book, I want to take that knowledge and turn it into action. That's my primary drive. And how I do it is I tap into that part of your brain called the reticular activating system, RAS, which controls your focus. And when you ask questions, it helps to hijack that part of your brain to help shine a spotlight on the answers. So I ask myself three questions. How can I use this? Why must I use this? So I get in my head, and so I'm listening to this podcast, all the thinking about all the ways I could use it. Then all the reasons why I should use it, because some people know what to do, but they're not doing because they don't feel it going back to purpose. And then goes from your head to your heart to your hands, I say, when will I use this? I'll challenge everybody who's listening right now, for every hour you spend learning something, schedule in your calendar the hour of implementation. 
because people will schedule parent-teacher meetings, doctor appointments, Zoom calls, sales calls, but they don't schedule their implementation or their self-care or their growth. This is when I'm going to read. And they wonder why they're not reading at the end of the day because they're exhausted, but it was never on their calendar. We schedule the most important things in our life, but we're not scheduling our self-care, our self-growth, and our implementation. So that's how I would use it. I would use it for those three things. hundred percent. I have a tip in my book about how our calendar basically signifies what's important to us and we need to calendar in the things that we think matter. And most of us yeah. just calendar in our work. Very true. Which Very then true. our brain is like, our work matters. Can you share one habit that you feel like has changed your life the most that you do on a daily basis? Yeah. So if I'm not picking up my phone, I'm doing something right first thing in the morning. I think if you want to win the day, you have to win the first hour of the day. And everybody has their routines. Tim Ferriss has, Oprah has, her. everybody has their routines. Mine is all about getting my brain right. Something simple that everyone can do that costs no money and not a lot of time, even if you have kids. First thing when you wake up, I want to get the four elements into my system. What do I mean by that? In ancient times, ancient Greek times, Babylonian times, they had a belief that the four elements created everything. And the four elements are air, earth, water, fire. Now, how does that apply? When I get up, I immediately go outside and I want to get grounded, even if it's a little cold. But I want to be barefoot on the ground because I feel like it starts me with a strong foundation. Some people would suggest that there's an electron transfer and it helps to reduce your stress. But either way, I just feel good touching the ground. That's earth. The second thing I'll do is I will get direct sunlight and that's fire. And if you want to better sleep, get out the first 30 minutes when you wake up because your eyes, it's how your circadian rhythm resets. And so getting direct sunlight outside, not through a window pane, because the window could actually filter out different spectrums of light. But getting outside for 10 minutes will help you sleep better at night. So that's fire. I'll also hydrate first thing in the morning because you can lose up to a pound of water through respiration and perspiration when you sleep. And just a 2% drop in your hydration when you're dehydrated could compromise your cognitive performance. Just staying hydrated, let me put it on the other side, can boost your reaction time, your thinking speed upwards of 30%. So before your coffee, drink some water. So that's the water part. So I have earth, fire, water, and then breathing. You know, one of the best ways of starting your day is doing some deep diaphragmic breaths. That's a way of cleaning out the mental cobwebs, energizing yourself. Some people do Wim Hof breathing, fire breathing, box breathing. There's alpha breathing. There's so many different forms, yoga nidra. I find I do all that and it's like 12 minutes and I'm like charged. It's go time for me. And it doesn't take a lot of time. You can do it with your kids doesn't cost any money. That's beautiful. I love that. We've talked about a lot today. Can you leave listeners with just one homework assignment, something they can yeah, do yeah, as yeah, soon yeah. as they turn off the podcast to enhance or take care of their brain? My first instinct was say, take that quiz because it's free and there's nothing to buy. It's at mybrainanimal.com. And I would challenge everyone, once you go through it, it only takes four minutes, multiple choice, very, very easy. Like what Game of Thrones character are you? Post your results and tag us both there so we get to see it. And I'll actually, because you'll tag us, I'll repost a few. Because once you understand your brain animal, you're going to want to text that link to everybody and find out what their kids, your spouse, your teammates also. I would leave everyone with that's one action step people could take. Another one is just start asking yourself throughout the day, is this good for my brain or is this bad for my brain? Is what I'm watching right now, who I'm spending time right now, what I'm eating right now, is this good for my brain or bad for my brain? And you're never going to get it perfect. I certainly don't. But that's not the goal. The goal is some form of progress. And these difficult times, they can distract you. These difficult times can diminish you. Or these difficult times, they can develop you. 
you decide with our choices and you control the controllables because I truly believe there's a version of yourself that's patiently waiting. You know, and the goal is we just show up for ourselves every single day until we're introduced. That's why I wrote this Limitless Expanded. So yeah, if you would just go to limitlessbook.com and get information about the book, they get free brain training, a speed reading memory course as a thank you for investing in the book. I donate 100% of the book's proceeds to charity, Alzheimer's Research for Women in Memory of My Grandmother, and the Build Schools. We build schools everywhere from Ghana, Guatemala, Kenya. I'm just very proud offering kids education that never had access to go to school. It's real labor of love. So I want to thank you for having me on your show. Thank you so much, Jim. I really love this. So many favorite parts of that episode. I keep telling people about the idea that we're reading too slowly, and that's why we're not retaining enough. And I loved the motivation equation. And then the four-element morning routine is so interesting. If there's anyone in your life whom you think would benefit from discovering their genius, improving their focus, learning to learn, i.e. literally everyone you know, please send them a link so that they can access their superpowers. And if someone shared a link with you and you are new to the podcast, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Give a thank you to whoever sent you the link for me. Make sure that you are following the podcast on whatever platform that you like to listen on. All you have to do is go to the main podcast page. That's the one that lists all of the Liz Moody podcast episodes. And you will see the word follow under the logo on Spotify. And then there's a little follow with a plus sign button on the top right of that same page on Apple Podcasts. This way, you will not miss out on any new episodes. They will appear right in your feed every single Wednesday. And you do not want to miss out because we have some very exciting ones coming up, like an episode about why so many young people are getting cancer and exactly what to do about it. This is not a scary episode. I know it sounds scary, but it's definitely more hopeful and pragmatic and actionable than it is scary, I promise. And then we have one coming up that's all about why we get cravings and how to get rid of them. And do not forget to go to 100waystochangeyourlife.com to snag a copy of my new book and then send that personalization note if you're doing it as a gift to promo at lizmoody.com and then healthycombo.co. You will find my conversation card games just in time for the holidays. You can get 30% off with our only sale of the year using code BF23, BF23 for 30% off. So stock up today. Okay, I love you and I will see you not next Wednesday, but next Monday for this month's special advice episode of the Liz Moody podcast. I always say that the most important things that you can do for your health are the ones that have the biggest impact for the smallest amount of effort. Using non-toxic laundry soap is one of my top hacks for that reason. I am not going to buy all organic clothing, but I can make sure what's touching my skin is as healthy for me as possible by washing all of that clothing in the safest possible laundry detergent. That is why I'm so excited to tell you about a brand that I am using, Molly's Suds. This is actually the first non-toxic laundry detergent that I came across so many years ago, and it's a staple that I have continuously come back to time and time again. If you remember, Dr. Sarah Villafranco actually recommended Molly Suds in our episode about skin health because it's an SLS-free brand, which is actually really hard to come by, and it's incredibly important, especially if you deal with dry skin, acne, or any irritation. 
Molly Suds is free from 1,4-Dioxane, formaldehyde, synthetic dyes, fragrances, SLS, like I mentioned, and other harmful chemicals that can cause cancer, disrupt your hormones, or cause allergic reactions. They are also free from optical brighteners, which are particularly interesting because Optical brighteners are designed to bind to your clothing and stay there, which means they are always coming into contact with your skin, and they can cause irritations and sensitivities. They're also awful for the environment, yet the vast, vast majority of detergents that you buy at the store contain them. Seriously, Google the detergent that you're using. I bet that it has it in it. But Molly Suds does not, and they're proven to be more effective and more cost-effective on a price-per-load level than leading brands while leaving out everything that can harm you. Molly Suds is cruelty-free, vegan, and Leaping Bunny certified and proudly made in the USA. Make a healthy choice and make the switch like I have to Molly Suds. You can pick up Molly Suds on your next Target run or just for the Liz Moody podcast listeners, order through my exclusive URL to get 20% off all Molly Suds products. To get this fantastic deal, go now to M-O-L-L-Y-S-S-U-D-S dot com slash Liz Moody and use code Liz Moody at checkout. Again, for 20% off, go to mollyssuds.com slash Liz Moody and use code Liz Moody at checkout. 